Hi, folks. Uh, there will be some discussion around, but not directly, like, totaling, uh, you know, like, descriptions of trauma. Um, and the phrase depornification is talked about at least once, so there's some discussion of the adult industry. That's, I think, the worst of it. Um, also, we have pets. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they're noisy. You got one sulking on your laptop right now. Yeah. I'm I'm occasionally petting him so he doesn't decide to throw everything off the desk. So there may be loud noises in the forms of hounds or cats or swearing because we swear a lot. It's true. Particularly that cat in particular. Yes. When he gets hangry, it's um, he punishes everyone. And sometimes the kittens just jump on legs and climb up and there's screaming. So yeah, there's that. Welcome to Productivity Alchemy episode 171. Uh, later on, we are going to have a wonderful conversation with uh, Marguerite Kenner and Al- Alistair Stewart, uh, who are just awesome people and fun to hang out with. And I am so glad they made time to talk to us. So, yeah, there's that. Woo! Um, you, Ursula, have had what one would call a week and a revelation. Uh, the week was certainly dramatic in that my beloved truck uh, got... I took it into a pothole repeatedly that I knew better than to do, but I did, and uh, cracked the oil pan... Cracked is probably a uh, perhaps too mild a term. I injured the truck, and the 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 tiny demon inside that made it go was, was very sad yes. and bled oil all over the driveway. I mean, it didn't just it evacuated the oil. <laughs> like, yeah, I went out to I, like Shep came in and said, "Hey, there's." oil on the driveway and i'm like okay well i should take a look at this and so first i rolled the truck back without starting it and there was a lot of oil in the driveway oh yeah and then i was like okay well let me open up the hood and check the dipstick and there was no oil on the dipstick yeah uh and i had an oil change not all that long ago and so uh basically what i uh yeah, just foom or foosh in this case. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I drove the the car, the truck, bone dry. I wouldn't have gone more than five miles, but fortunately that, that's about how far away Performance Auto is. Went in, uh, you know, said, my, my truck has been grievously injured. Please fix it. Make it good again. And they... They were resigned, as they always are when they deal with me. And it took the problem. So is, many of us are when they when we deal with you. It, uh, you love me. I do. Performance probably doesn't love me, but they 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 have the good natured resignation that so many people get when dealing with me. And uh, anyway, of course, this happens on a Thursday, so I have to drive it in Friday, and they're booked, so I have to drive in Friday morning, and then they can't get the parts, or they can get the parts, but it's back-ordered, because they have to order a new oil pan, I guess. And Yep. 
And uh, so, yeah, there was there was a lot. So it was like three days. I I was without my truck for about five or six days. And that meant that for all of the day to day errands, which and I had to shuttle some people around because the teenager had to come home to vote, which meant we had to quarantine our our, our housemates at various other locations so that they were not exposed in case he had anything until we were reasonably sure that we were all good. And we couldn't do the full two weeks, obviously, but we figured, you know, if if they're not, if no one's in the house at the same time and, you know, then things are allowed to settle and we open the windows and whatnot, uh, exposure will be minimal. And so, yeah, uh, I had to drive Kevin's car. Yeah. Now, add on to this that Thursday... Uh, we finally, the parts for the dishwasher had finally come in. Yes. And so that was getting fixed and then couldn't be fixed because. Yet another cable needed to be. Yeah, ordered. a cable needed to be replaced. Get off the, no, you're on the keyboard again. And uh, you never realize how much you rely on a functioning dishwasher until it goes away after years and years. Yes. And we use a lot of dishes. So, uh. Anyway, so that was a lot, and that even would have just been part of the rich tapestry of life, but what Kevin is referring to specifically is that yesterday, like a bolt of lightning from the blue, I went, I'm depressed. And this was startling, because I am not prone to depression. I have had one serious bout of depression after my divorce, which I sort of tried to power through, never try to power through. Uh, yeah, don't. Yeah. Uh, moved across the country. Yeah, just don't. Terrible thing to do. And so had a nervous breakdown, of course, because that's what happens when you try to power through that shit. And then I was in a very deep hole. It took a while to get out. And I I was like going, you know, I haven't worked on any of my side projects. I have no enthusiasm for it. I'm not, I haven't moved mulch in ages. I'm not feeling gardening, even though the weather's nice. All I want to do is sleep and play video games, and my sleep cycle has gotten really out of whack. Oh, boy. And then I realized these are the symptoms of me with depression, or more accurately, to to refine it as I was thinking, yes. these are the symptoms of me when I am medicated for depression, specifically. Yes. Uh, my when I the first time I went on meds, they totally saved my bacon, but also sleep schedule completely. You know, uh, left my own devices. I will stay up till five and sleep until noon. Uh, and just no, you know, enthusiasm. Except, I mean, I'm not even feeling all that much enthusiasm for my job, but I do my job because it's that, or you know, I starve and die in a ditch next to Walmart. And I was like, wait a minute. It isn't that I am a terrible person who never finishes my projects and leaves them abandoned. It's not that I am a horrible slob. It is not that I am, you know, have, uh, that I have lost all joy in the universe. I am actually depressed. The world has finally gotten me. 2020, and it took a while. I just want to point that out. Uh, oh, yeah. No, it, it took. Yeah, it, to- it took the, a lot. The politics and the pandemic and everything finally. Finally got through the, the you know, my naturally ebullient personality. And and heavily medicated. Yes. Well, yeah. and, and the thing is, I'm still basically medicated for depression. I would not necessarily 
seek further treatment as such. I feel like I am medicated for what I have. It's just before I was medicated for what I didn't have because with the ADD and the anxiety, I no longer needed the anxiety med as much, but I wasn't going to do anything until we were out of the pandemic because that's not really a thing you want to screw with when you're stuck at home and, you know, whatnot. And also the world. But now I'm like, wait a minute. I think I'm actually depressed. And honestly, the weird thing about this is that, and as my friend Shepard said, why are you so chipper about this? This is this is a mental health issue. And I'm like, yes, but it's just, it's a remarkable relief to go, wait, it's not me. The bank of serotonin is an overdraft. There's nothing wrong with me. It's just the neurotransmitters aren't there right now because the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was actually, I'm actually much more cheerful now that I know I'm depressed, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, because depression doesn't usually make me sad as such. Uh, it makes me just tired and not interested in things. I mean, there's a, there are many different symptoms to, uh, clinical depression, chronic depression. Yeah, and it presents differently in, in all kinds of people. So I, I am not like, I am not a sad depressed. I am a very tired and uninterested depressed. Yeah, uh, apathy, general apathy. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I I feel like, so actually knowing what the hell it was, I felt like weirdly energetic and did a bunch of stuff today because I was like, this is stuff I can get done and I don't really want to do it. And I have been putting, I've been like not even putting off doing it. I've just had no interest in doing it. But that's because the serotonin is borked. It doesn't matter how I feel about it because how I feel about it is wrong because of the serotonin. So yep. I will do the thing, which meant that I matted and hung a bunch of art and uh, like, which in the grand yeah. scheme of things accomplishes, you know, not that much. But then, you know, went to the, when, yeah, just it wrote words stuff. I, so I'm very cheerful because now I know I'm depressed, if that makes any sense. No, it, it makes, it makes an awful lot of sense. And that is, I think, one of the great myths of chronic or clinical depression. Yeah. Is that, um, that means you're sad and you're mopey. It may not, it doesn't necessarily present that way, but because everybody thinks in terms of, you know, the mopey goth kid in high school, I'm so depressed, um, or, or, you know, an actual sadness, depression, like that sort of thing. That's what you associate it with. You don't associate it with the fact that this is an actual chemical imbalance that is impacting your mood, that is um, causing, you know, all of these symptoms around uh, apathy, listlessness, and if left untreated, can go into the really bad shit. Yeah. Right? And, like, uh, it's it's an interesting thing to say, to be like, okay, I realize I'm de- – I'm, it's not so much I realized I'm depressed as I realized I am what I am when I'm medicated for being depressed, <laughs> if that makes yeah, any yeah. sense. Uh, and this isn't something I can up my meds on. There's only one viable dose of uh, this particular drug, ironically. Oh, yeah. So uh, I am on the heavy-duty effects, which is prescribed for anxiety, which is why it worked so well. But uh, now that the ADHD meds have largely taken over the anxiety, I was feeling like I was over-medicated, and now I'm depressed. I'm like, no, I'm doing great. 
for yeah right. for for yeah. yeah for your particular uh uh neurochemistry yeah. and a lot of it i get uh i'm pretty sure it's sad uh seasonal affective disorder whatever uh i uh i will be less alive until spring and then spring will hit and i will suddenly be like a dynamo of planting Sweet enthusiasm mother of God. that will terrify all within range i i hide in my office and live in fear of the hey can you help me move something uh lots of gardeners uh, lots of people who are really into gardening have this if you uh monty mm-hmm. don who does gardener's world who is extremely famous uh gardener in britain uh has been very open about his problems with with sad and uh, i'm sure it's much worse there i was never as energetic and happy as when i lived in arizona because there is no i mean there is a blaze of sunlight all day long Uh, but you did you live there through a winter though because i seem to recall when we were there in winter it was overcast most of the time we were up in uh by flagstaff and sedona yes but i mean even in phoenix it didn't uh, we, I mean, occasionally there's a cloudy day, and you feel it like you have a cloudy day, and Phoenix, you're like, oh, but no, uh, it's it's 340 days of sun a year kind of thing usually. So the extreme opposite of Seattle. Yes, I, and and the thing is, I grew up in, largely between Oregon and Arizona, and my mother loves Oregon and is very prone to depression and hated Arizona and. I don't hate Oregon, but I would have a very hard time living there now because of the gray. Yeah. Like, a a really gray day here will just wreck me. And uh, whereas every time I go back to the desert, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, whatever, I am like, oh, yeah, let's do this. I am... uh, Kevin, who has seen me do this, I am, like, you know, energized. So, And I... Yeah, the dry heat is kind of okay, but I I tend to wilt because I require moisture. You are a delicate southern flower. I am a delicate southern flower. I mean, and life has not arranged itself in such a way that I can just move to Albuquerque. Uh, I I might be able to do Albuquerque. I'd take you with me. Well, yeah, I know that. It's just, (laughs) you know, I I don't think I could do Phoenix. I might be able to do, like, in the mountains of Arizona. And the thing is, I would want to do Tucson, which is south of Phoenix. Yeah, which I've never been to, so I don't know. It's lovely, but it is, I mean, it's it's Sonoran Desert. You are, you are out in a land that wants to strip the flesh from your bones, and I love it so much. I need but. a very special breed of chicken. Uh, yes, but they have lots of chickens there. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. you'd you'd be getting, uh, dad kept chickens when he was down there and he got them from his, uh, his Latino coworkers who were like, here, take some chickens. Yeah, because, I mean, um, I, many of my breeds that are, are more for this climate or colder would have real problems. Yeah. And even, even... There are some breeds you can't keep here that you like, like uh, like oh. we would love to keep the Icelander chickens. Oh but my god, die, they're so pretty. You know? Yeah, but they would die. Yeah. It's just too hot, too too hot for them. Even even the winter is almost too warm for them here. Yeah. So, but and you know my my ideal place to live would be the desert. But 
uh, life is what it is, and yeah. that's okay. I I have, I have, I am capable of finding things to love about anywhere I have lived. And yeah, I have found a lot to love about North Carolina, and I should probably set up one of those damn sad lamps. Or more importantly, I should have Kevin set it up. <laughs> because the problem with the depression thing is that one of the very hardest things to do is anything that will make yourself feel better. Like, yes, I could when when I am depressed, I can feed the dog. I can change the cat's litter box you know, or whatever, I can uh, do something for Kevin, but go turn on this lamp. It just feels like uh, such uh, indulgence and also such a trouble. And part of that is that if I don't ever do it, then I don't have to face the fact it doesn't work and there might be something worse wrong with me. Uh, There's a lot to be said about holding out that kind of hope, but... (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm going to have to go buy a lamp, and I know just the one to buy. And yeah, we, we'll make this happen. Okay, if you want to do it and set it up so that I'm like, you know, cooking under it when I'm napping or something, that would actually probably be very healthy. Yeah. Uh, you you have my blessing. Do it. Make it happen. <laughs> uh, I have just been instructed, ladies and gentlemen, and other people. Sorry. Ladies, to, gentlemen, and those who identify as neither. Yes. Uh, to go buy a gadget. Oh, Lord. All right. Send me the bill. You you brought that one on yourself. I did, and it may make me feel better. Occasionally, yeah. your gadgets are like, yes, I will admit this is an enormous help. Like the, the I won't say the Echo device's name because that'll activate her. Right, but, right. But yes, I actually wind up using it a lot. Uh, but sometimes it's like, okay, dear, I love you, but you have managed to make this straightforward task enormously complicated. Have you gotten eggs recently? Yeah. Okay. I got eggs yesterday. Are they still laying? Oh, yeah. Okay. Matter of fact, Strong Independent laid her first, it looks like she, she laid her first egg in a couple months. I think she may just be a fallen winter layer. Uh, that's... Usually not a thing, but whatever makes her happy. Uh, she is she is past the age when most hens lay reliably, and uh, so she is now basically hen emeritus. She hangs out with her best buddy. Uh, oh, let's be let's call them what they are lesbians, like the lesbians. They're lesbians, Harold. Yeah. Uh, yes, and uh, does Buffy still lay eggs? Yeah, occasionally, yeah. not as often. They're, and, and Buffy's substantially younger, but they've just basically settled into, I will lay an egg every now and again, and the rest of the time I will hang out with my girlfriend, and when I get a good treat, I will chuckle them over, which is the noise that roosters make to pull, get hens to Wait, come over. Wait, are you thinking Buffy or Becky? Be- whatever. No, no, not Buffy. Uh, Becky. The Becky. One, yeah. Becky, the, Becky the Specky. Yeah. The Speckled Sussex. The, the one yeah. that, that Strong Independent I, has the I thing. I don't know if she's still laying. It's okay. it's hard to tell because there are a couple who lay brown eggs and then the, the bluish green eggs from the leg bars and then just all of a sudden, boom, bright white, like incandescent white. And I'm like, oh, it's Strong Independent. Yeah. You know, even Tater Tot's eggs are, are – at least I can tell Tater Tot's eggs because they're brown eggs, but they're smaller than all the other eggs. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's uh, – yeah, they, they have a comfortable uh, sort of 
upper middle age ladies living together. Yeah. Tater yeah. tot or not tater tot. Um, strong independent chicken. Becky and Dora. They they I believe they're they're their own little little uh, polycule. <laughs> the three of them. Yeah. Because the three of them, they'll spend all day sort of together, and then they all settle into the same place at night, and they get kind of tetchy if another hen decides to roost with them. Well, um, chickens are very cliquish in general, which yes, you yes. wouldn't necessarily – I don't know if you expected that internet, but they're super cliquish. Kind of are. Yeah. But, I mean, then you've got Ninja, who is madly in love with Monique. Oh, God. Yeah, well, uh, we can't part them. No. Um, and then Amelia and BB. And I think BB has been picking on Daryl. So. Well, when, when Ninja goes off to Dog Skull, we mm-hmm. will send BB and Dora with him and, and Monique because we can't part him from no, we, the We can't send wife. Dora. Dora goes with. Oh, okay. No, Dor- Dora. Dora. The BB and Amelia. BB and Amelia, yes. Amelia Henhart. She was the explorer that I expected to get at, and so far she has outlived everything. What? Well, anyway, you see what I have to put up with, Internet. So there's that. You know what's great about a good pun? Uh, no. No, I, I don't. The masters, often the masters of a good pun, are the British. The masters of a certain sort of humor are the British, yes. Yes. Uh, and one of the the funniest and most amusing people who I have had the privilege of hearing rant is, of course, uh, Alastair Stewart. Uh, he does a good rant. And, and he has a couple in the interview uh, that are just wonderful. Um, but uh, he is... Then countered with his longtime partner and and foil Marguerite, who is just as sharp witted. So it is absolutely brilliant. Um, and I had a chance to sit down and talk with him a couple months ago. At this point, um, but uh, two months, I guess two months. Uh, time no longer has any meaning. Right, August. It was in August, and we make mention of that. And uh, we'll talk about how they stay productive right after this. I am here with my friends Marguerite and Alastair, and I am very excited to have them on. Um, Marguerite and Alastair, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us all about what you do, because I'm going to get it wrong. (laughs) And and because uh, there is a lot of it. Um, Hello, I'm I'm Marguerite Kenner. This is Alastair Stewart. Hello. what do I do? Oh my gosh, what don't we do? We uh, run the Escape Artist Podcast Network, which publishes many fine genre podcasts such as Escape Pod, Pseudopod, Podcastle, and Cast of Wonders. Um, for a day job, I am a commercial technology lawyer, so I deal with GDPR and all those other sorts of good, wonderful things. Um, I am not currently editing anything, but I am the former editor of Cast of Wonders. 
I also have the ability to speak committee. So I do a lot of organization in genre kind of on the under the hood level. Um, I'm on the SIFWA committee. I've worked with WSFUS and um, kind of our latest organizational project is we were part of the team that organized Zealand Fringe around Worldcom this year. Right. And I'm Alistair. I do about half that stuff as well. Uh, I am not a lawyer. I am instead professionally enthusiastic, which in my case takes the form of being the host of Pseudopod, a horror podcast, uh, being a twice Hugo-nominated fan writer, uh, and I'm also a professional RPG designer, and I run a weekly pop culture newsletter called The Full Lid, which, as we speak, the most recent issue of which was released just under two hours ago. Yep. Which is probably going to be a little different, considering I think we're like two months from actual air date. So, uh, folks, go check out August's Full Lid. <laughs> it's a good one. At Friday at 5. Um, it's pitched for the, okay, the work week is over. Have something nice in your inbox for a change. The, the tagline is literally email, but good. <laughs> so that's a lot going on. That is yeah. a lot going on. Um, how do you keep yourself organized? You want to start with this yeah, one? Yeah, I'll start. Um, daily to-do lists for a start. Um, and... In my case, that takes the form of, of some form of exercise in the morning, breakfast, write the list of the things, know full well that you will not do all of them. Uh, the other thing which keeps me alive is I have a notebook for everything. Everything. Yeah, we have field note subscriptions. There are boxes and boxes and boxes of field notes in our household. So what we both tend to work out of is a variant of the traveler's journal where you have like a, a leather bound system that you can put notebooks in. And the version which I find works really well for me is I have a bullet journal in the front, which is also dated. And then I have no party in the back, party in the back. It's, it's <laughs> like an organizational mullet where uh, that's where I make all the notes and write the words that are good. Yeah. I'm similar. I, I'm a big fan of the list. That's the first thing we do in the morning after, you know, exercise, breakfast, make list for the day. Um, uh, I, I tend to use a bunch of different tools, if, if it's okay to kind of go ahead and start talking about oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Um, um, so EA uses Trello pretty extensively because it's a good collaboration tool for multiple teams. And that's where we keep a lot of the EA goals, targets, meetings, reminders, sorts of stuff. Um, on a personal note, for, for our kind of household stuff, we use uh, Toodly-Doo, which is an online, uh, um, it's basically a, a checklist. You know, you, you can build yep. a list and reschedule things. And we use that, we share it between the two of us for stuff like, this is the grocery list and remember to pick up that prescription kind of stuff. Um, we live on the outskirts of London, and when we are not in COVID, I commuted into London about two hours each way. So I spend about four hours a day commuting. Um, so a lot of my organizational tools are manual as a result. I have a traveler's notebook, so I will keep a manual uh, calendar as well as my electronic calendar um, because I usually have like four or five or six different calendars. And so it, it, it's useful for me to be able to, to look and write 
what I need to remember. I am a kinesthetic learner. That's how old I am. If I write something down, I will remember it. So that's why I manually keep a to-do list and a calendar because that's what helps me stay organized. And that's sometimes what I can access on the tube or on the train. When I can't pull up my phone or get a signal, I can look at a physical calendar a lot easier. So there's actually a name for that, kinesthetic learner. That's that's what I was always told it was called. Is um, It's the same way whenever I study or learn something. If you have to write something as that's an important part of your process, I was told it was called kinesthetic learning. Um, same way when I went to law school, you know, I have to take my manual notes, but then I have to type them to clean them up. And that the process of those two things is what yeah. drills it into my brain. But I, I reach for pen and paper by default because I am an old. <laughs> Uh, I am just as much an old and also, um, all my notes for the podcast are, are on pen and paper because no one wants to hear clickety, 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 clack while I'm talking to you. That's part of it. Yeah. Right. We, yeah. we get that a lot with streaming, um, Alistair streams on, on a regular schedule and I moderate and we've had a couple of comments about, you need to get softer touch keyboard. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, we do because we share an office. Um, I can I can highly recommend the uh, the Logitech the new Logitech uh, Ergo keyboard and trackball. Uh, they've done wonders for my wrists, and they don't sound incredibly large. So I just I, saw that Logitech released some new stuff, and we need to upgrade the peripherals. Yep. So, ooh, shiny! Oh, nice. I, I'm yeah. a huge fan of Logitech stuff anyway when it comes to peripherals. So Good. yeah, and the the fun bit is the new trackball. It has a built-in tilt base, so you can change the angle at which your your hand goes on it. Ooh, nice, sexy! And it's and, and cheaper it's, than razors. <laughs> cheaper? Well, I don't know about that. This is a $125 trackball, but it's also uh, two device Bluetooth and rechargeable, so you're not throwing batteries in it. You're just plugging it into. In my case, I switch it between this machine and my work machine, and I charge mm. it about once a week, maybe once every two weeks. Sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at that. I have a new desktop. Oh well, <laughs> I keep calling it a desktop. It's a laptop with a simple. <laughs> exactly. Um, but when, when I, you know, London went on lockdown the middle of March. Yep. Um, and so most of us spent money upgrading our home working setups the first couple of months. Um, and I moved from a desktop, which had was older than my relationship with Alistair. It Hello. moved to the UK with me um, wow. all those years yep. ago. Um, <laughs> I like to build them sturdy so that they last a good long time, but it was time. So upgrade. Which is also what you did with Alistair. Hello. Tall <laughs> shelves. There we go. I like them big. Moving on. Um, so upgraded to this is an HP Spectre, mm-hmm. which is a, a 360 laptop. So it has a tablet mode, which is really nice. nice. But I just call it a desktop because that's where it sits most of the time because I also. Bought a 27-inch 4K monitor to go with it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like the curved ones. I know lots of people find those really sexy, but all my work is on documents. So being able to do 100% resolution of two documents side by side is what I need. And I was really concerned with the curve interface. First of all, desk real estate. My desk is pretty small. Um, and, And second of all, I thought the perspective shift with flat paper might be an issue. 
So this has been like the best money I've spent while I've been on lockdown. So much better than crappy commuter sandwiches. Yeah, well, and uh, my problem with curved monitors is I'm a dual monitor user. Mm. I'm not sure how I would position it to end up with like maybe a 180 view, and that just seems like a bit much. Like I already find with two flat screens, the far left of the left-hand screen, I don't use as much because I don't look at it. So I don't know what a 360 or what a 180 view would do for me. Yeah, exactly. And it, it gets, we're starting to get just a touch Johnny Mnemonic at that point, and my work doesn't require that. Although that would yeah. be a thing. No power gloves. We've had this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we should probably talk about the electronic kit as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So um, we, we make jokes all the time about our ever-expanding herd of microphones. It's not a joke. Um, we are up to... We have one of each of uh, one model. Of yeah. The, the blues. We yeah. are blue microphone fans. Uh, yes. Specifically, we, st we, we started with the blues. We now have um, Yetis on each of the desktops, and we have a third in our recording studio, which is a glorified way of saying it is the little cupboard that holds the hot water heater that we have lined in hoodies. Okay. But that's where, but that's where our recording happens. And we're thinking about getting a fourth for the for the living room slash the PS5 when it comes out because mm -hmm. we do stream gaming now and we didn't want to have to just be on headsets when we were doing that though we do have good headsets we have the Logitech G933s mm. um, which started when Alistair bought me this special edition um, Mass Effect Andromeda one for my birthday and through <laughs> a, a hilarious series of necessary exchanges we wound up with two so he has a set and I have a set but they're very good, solid Bluetooth pieces of gear, which we like. Um, Alistair's just moved to dual monitors when I upgraded mine to one big old monitor, and he's right. loving the ability to watch a movie at the same time as working because yeah. he can do that. I can't. I have three monitors here. This is the studio slash my laptop monitor that I can switch to be dual monitors with my work machine, and then I've got another one up here, um, a second 4K Work bought me a 5K monitor. Fuck. Yeah. Um, so, but that one is dedicated to the uh, to an uh, Amazon Fire. I got and you. So, whatever content I want that if if I can stream it through Fire TV, it's just click click. There it is on that particular screen. Um, Glorious. We are. Also, oops, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and also big big blue fan here. Uh, I'm actually using the. Uh, blackout Spark XL, mm -hmm. um, and then Ursula has a standard Spark XL. These are all the XLR Pros yeah. um, to a uh, uh, USB mixing board. So traditional. Ooh. Oh. oh, yeah. It's a little more pricey, but I love the individual control I can get over the different channels when we're talking. I didn't know they even made USB mixing boards because we've well, never... It's not a blue USB mixing board. It's... Um, I, f I f forget which one it is, um, but you can get a mixing board that you just plug in and suddenly, boom, your mixing board is your USB device. Oh, I did not need to know that. <laughs> or, or you did. Yeah, yeah. well, we've got, uh, like I said, we've been streaming recently, so we've done a little bit of upgrading on mm -hmm. the visual side now. We've used the, what are they, C922 Logitech Pro cameras, Yep. which are really good, but good price points. 
um, mm-hmm. ring lights, atmosphere lights. And I think this coming month, the green screen might follow us home screen. and a light kit because <laughs> yep. we've been we've been considering doing some experiments outside of video gaming with Twitch. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about maybe, you know, trialing the full lid as a live re right. sort of experience. And we share an office. Mm-hmm. So it has three desks between us. We each have our own in the corner. And then there's one in the middle, which we call the neutral zone, which has all the charging stations and everything. But it's not quite a large enough space to set up a proper, like, you know, white wall of death kind of recording yeah. space. So we'd have to probably move into another room, which means you need a backdrop, which means you need lights, which means you need sound band, you know, baffling. Yep. So... <laughs> what did you do during lockdown, Marguerite? I taught myself video and audio production. Why do you ask? Yeah, um, the only advantage I have is I learned it years and years ago when I was a uh, radio on-air personality. So, yeah. Um, just why uh, you've got the nice shock mount. We we just, I mean, the Yetis come with decent oh. tabletop mounts, which are a little more flexible. So we've never quite gone to shock mounts, but we've thought about it. I just get worried about the fact that I'm going to bump it every once in a while. It's easier to just move this out of the way and then not touch the desk when I'm recording. The Spark XL comes in a padded wooden box with the shock mount. Nice. And I'm suspending it from the blue arm. And I got to say the blue arm is by far one of the best um, microphone arms, stands, whatever that I've ever used. The other one that was recommended to us was the Rhodes. I haven't. I I have no experience with that one. But they are um, a much higher price point, so I've been a little hesitant. As a yeah, result. and if you if you watch, sometimes you can pick up uh, the blue arms, either a refurb um, or an open box return. I think one of these was an open box return, so I got it for like ten to twenty bucks off. Nice. I'm, I'll have yeah. to eat our ice bills for that. Mm-hmm. So we're just all gonna right. wait for the to go by. Oh yeah, that's it happens. Um, Nothing can be done. Yeah, I, I'm very curious, and maybe, I don't know if this is going to bore people or not, but uh, what do you do about mobile recording? Mobile recording has always been a bit of a challenge. We haven't done a lot of it, to be honest. It's one of the reasons we were looking at the, the Blue Nano back in the before times. Back in the, oh, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. We we looked at one of those, and Blue did something called a Tiki for a while as well, which was, was a, a small USB travel, mm-hmm. which we I thought about. Um, yeah. Sound quality was in. Yeah. That was my concern. Is it seemed mm-hmm. unidirectional, and, and we were concerned about that. Um, friends have let us borrow a Zoom HR before, um, which looked like it worked fine. But then the feedback we got on the recording was that it wasn't the greatest. That just may have been our personal inexperience. I'll be honest. Most of our remote recording events have been with our other audio people <laughs> or, yeah. or at podcasting events. And so they had really great setups. In, in oh, yeah. very rare instances, I would just use the voice memo on the iPhone. Which, and and it, it's, I mean, it's a tonka toy of an app. It does one thing, but you can't kill it. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're, they're pretty stable. We always tell people who want to get into podcasting or narration that start with your phone. You'd be surprised mm-hmm. at how decent that is. And you don't have to pay any money for that at all while you want to practice. Um, so yeah, we, oh, we yeah. don't have what I would call designated 
remote recording equipment, we've been very lucky to be in situations where other people have either provided it or brought their own equipment. Um, But now that I've upgraded to a laptop and we have that option, when we get to go to remote events again, (laughs) there will probably be a lot more experimentation with that, which would be, which would be fun. Yeah. Also, um, if you didn't know it, the, I don't know if they still make this one, the raspberry, the blue raspberry uh, comes mm-hmm. with a, comes with a cable specifically to plug into an iPhone. Oh, Ooh. interesting. I'm going to write that down. Hold on a second. Already yeah. have oh, you've already written it down. Brilliant. <laughs> well done. Alistair on the notes. Good job. There you go. Yeah. Um, and by the way, folks at home, I'm going to be putting all of this in the show notes. So there will be links. Um, a gazillion links. Yeah. Well, this is the first time I think we've really talked recording equipment. Mm. So, <laughs> sorry um, no it's fine it's fine but that's a lot of what we're doing now is is yeah. video and audio work yeah. and recording and and stuff and you know i think a lot of people are a lot of people are taking the opportunity of having smaller commutes and more at home time to experiment mm-hmm. now folks are seeing stepping onto twitch yeah yep it's is remarkable yeah. For for very similar reasons, because I mean, it. I was talking to Mary about this an awful lot because she's just started out, and she said it reminds her of nothing more than the early days of podcasting, where there's no shape to it. You can kind of make it what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. There are some groups yes. I think forming about mm-hmm. which content and video content. I mean, obviously, gaming is always going to be a really important part of it. But Twitch itself hasn't quite figured out what to do with the just chatting tag that so many of us fall into, um, probably partially because they're not sure how to monetize it and they're concerned about risks, obviously. Um, But we're seeing more and more of these platforms where people are trying to monetize performance, engagement, et cetera, et cetera. um, And they're all going to be utilizing video and, and audio equipment. So, and just as more and more of us work from home and get tired of staring at nothing but screens and emails, p- personal interest, I think, in solid but cost-effective at-home setups is is starting to really increase. And you're actually starting to see that bleed across into social media as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's a really interesting thing that in about three months, I think, social media journalists are going to start talking about, and that is the depornification of OnlyFans. OnlyFans <laughs> initially started out as a send me 15 bucks a month, you can access all of my nudes. <clears throat> it was a camming service. Yeah. Right, yeah. I know of a half dozen TikTokers who have stepped across to it with resolutely non-sexual content. I know of a guy doing horror movie reviews just on OnlyFans. To the point now where you're starting to see see jokes about people saying, oh, so maybe I should just set one up. It's easy. And the rest of us who are seasoned content creators are going, oh, really? That's what you think? Off you go. Oh, good luck with that, sweetheart. I, I think the, the, the one that really is the like the first mainstream step in this direction, and it happened just this week, the week we're recording this, um, is the actress Bella Thorne set up an OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. That's a really good shout. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, there's a lot of porn producers and content creators and sex workers who are, like, livid over this. Uh, but 
um, it's sort of an interesting thing. And does this mean that there will be like other controls headed, you know, will, will only fans be forced to depornify or does this, you know, just another content wing for them? Well, I think sex workers are right to be concerned yeah. because we've seen this right. story play out time and time again. It started oh, yeah. in just in the beta wars. It started with Tumblr and now we're just moving it to a video pro content. They are right to be concerned that once Timmy goes looking for his cartoon content on a platform, they're going to see that there's more income potential and advertising revenue and they're going to chase adult content off, which is horrible and awful because a lot of the technological advancement that goes into these platforms is funded by adult content oh, and adult yeah. risk taking. I absolutely blew my mind when I found out that basically the entire DVD infrastructure software setup was pioneered by porn firms. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it goes further back than that. Um, it's the the UHS beta wars were resolved on pornography content. Seriously. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, you go back, uh, some of the first photographs, nudes, um, early home movies, um, the Super 8 reels, stag reels, as it were. Um, yep. Pretty much there's a lot in the audiovisual domain for everything I except, I think, broadcast TV that was uh, basically pioneered and funded by porn. Yeah, exactly. Um, streaming... Uh, videos being probably the biggest example thereof because there were streaming porn videos long before there was YouTube and the like. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to happen faster in video VOD content because mm -hmm. one of the other biggest foundational players in the space is Twitch, which is specifically video games and yeah. accurate or not i.e. not, there is a mm -hmm. perception, at least in American media, that video mm -hmm. game equals kid. Um, I think that's changed significantly uh, since the introduction of the Xbox 360. The Xbox 360, I think, was one of the really big breakthrough mainstream adult platforms, mostly for things like Call of Duty. I agree with you from a, from, a, from a mainstream perspective. From a regulatory perspective, try telling a senator that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that is still that. Well, that is still a thing. Um, also, it would be nice if all of our senators weren't older than my father, um, who's in his seventies. So, yeah. Um, wow. All right. So we've we've gone far afield. Uh, but that's fun. That's fun. Um, to bring it back on track, uh, sure we talked about all the tools. Um, yeah. And some of that. Now, are there any specific systems or habits you have that assist with all of that? Like, are you one of the inbox zero people or are you getting things done? Uh, is bullet journal your life and part, you're part of the cult? Um, that sort of thing. I, I'll let you go first. I can no longer let Marguerite see the icon on my iPhone or iPad showing how many emails have gone on red because... Once, about a year ago, I did, and I didn't know a human could go that pale a color. <laughs> I am not, it is safe to say, an Inbox Zero person. We are a house divided in that regard. However, the two systems I have found that really are the janky, bare-bones chop-shop-together from two jalopies version of bullet journaling I do, 
which is literally, here is a circle, here is a thing I have to do next to it. If I've done the thing, I get to cross the circle off. Mm -hmm. And I have an outboard brain. I have behind us, as we're speaking, eight whiteboards, uh, which are white clean, and I put things on there that I have to remember. The newsletter gets planned on there. The newsletter for the month gets scheduled out on there. The book I turned in today had, for the love of God, remember to do this, written on various ones. And that, for me, it's all about emptying the bucket as opposed to closing the door. And if I can get to the point at the end of the day where I've got four or five ticks in boxes or, you know, everything on a board that needs to be green is green, then I'm in good. I have tried bullet journaling in the past and I like the aesthetic of it. I like the aesthetic of it too much to the point where the tidiness and the cleanliness of it leaps over into art project and not tool. And so. I would for a while at the beginning of the year, I was doing a monthly bullet journal spread where I was tracking things like I was trying to keep track of how much fiction versus nonfiction content of podcasts I was consuming. Mm-hmm. I was kind of trying to track what episodes did I listen to, how many of them were fiction, how many were not. Uh, and I would do that on a monthly basis. But again, it just it turns into an art project. It doesn't turn into a tool for me, for for me, a right. uh, 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 a dot and a to-do list is is enough. Mm-hmm. I have tried, I struggle a lot with prioritization, probably because we do a lot of things. And so it's, it's hard to kind of do that running algebra. Mm-hmm. I've tried to move to more of what I call like a cloud to-do list, where there are a lot of potential things I could do. And my task every morning when I build my list is to pick from that cloud what the most important things are to do. And um, John Rogers uh, had a really good tip a couple of weeks ago that I read, which is the to-do list is never more than three to five items long. If you can get that much done in a day, that's really impressive. The exact phrase he used was, you have won the day. You have won the day. And as a cathartic <laughs> monkey, I cling to that. Yeah. Like Kate Winslet clinging to the wardrobe at the end of the <laughs> So, yeah, there will be five things to do in a day, and I will try to make them the five most important things to do mm-hmm. that day. And then the other hack I use is if I do a thing that was not on my list, I write it down anyway and give myself a check mark because that helps me keep track of not only how did I perform against my goal, but what is everything else I actually did in the day? So, for example, my five things will never involve chores, but I do chores. I do a load of laundry. I do a load of dishes. So I will write down, I did laundry, I did dishes. Mm -hmm. Because I I have a really hard time if I get to the end of the day and I feel like I haven't accomplished anything, especially if I haven't done those five things. Being able to look at a list that says, oh, yes, but you did eight errands, three loads of laundry, two batches of dishes, and took the garbage out. It's like, oh, okay. I don't feel like I've just wasted 12 hours. Yeah, the, the to-done list is uh, is what we call it, and it is so useful. Done. Um, I'll remember that. Thank it's you. a good psychological hack for me. It's just like, yeah. no, you haven't been just playing Greedfall all day. That's what you're doing later because you've finished all the five things on your list for today. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's a good hack that I've learned recently is meetings count as a thing. Oh, yeah. 
because otherwise it's really easy to say, I need to do these five things, but I also have six hours worth of meetings. That it just becomes completely impractical, especially if I, like I try to always do, a meeting is not just the hour it's scheduled for, but the half an hour before and the half an hour after, mm-hmm. because it, the half an hour's worth of prep, getting your notes together, making sure your tech is working, and then critically and underappreciatedly, it is the 10 minutes you spend afterwards writing your notes, sending the follow-up, and just doing it right then and there so that it's not you get to the end of the day and you're like, wait, I have to do follow-up for six meetings and it's 8 o'clock and I haven't eaten dinner and there's three things left on my list. I'm not going to do it. And all that knowledge just disappears. Yeah. Just just drifts right out. Um, yeah, on my for work, I do a little end of day summary. Everybody, it's sort of a cultural thing. It's not required, but several of us do it just to say, hey, here's what we did today. Um, mm-hmm. And I will put down if I had any meetings, even if they were, even if I wasn't an active participant. But it was that uh, you know the company all hands where we're going to talk about last quarter's results. I was there. It was taking up cognitive space. It was on my second monitor while I was writing code. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I write my best code during those meetings because no one wants to interrupt because they're all pretending they're in the meeting too. <laughs> I get a lot of cross stitch done <laughs> in group <laughs> meetings sometimes. Um, any other other systems or habits that are one of the things we we picked up the end of last year is big, gigantic whiteboard paper. Oh, God, yes. Those, you know, oh, three yeah. foot by two foot sticky pads, they are on every door of our house. So there's one on the office door that says, these are the movies and TV shows that we keep telling ourselves we're going to watch. And then you get the <laughs> wonderful catharsis of drawing the line through it and adding to it as things come up. Um, we've got another one that we put together in April, which was um, EA's new five-year plan. So right. Alistair and I have owned EA for, we're currently in year five. So it's time for the new five-year plan. And we took some time over April to sort of break out what are the big events coming up, what do we want to do. And we've got a big whiteboard piece of paper with that with a whole bunch of little sticky notes on it. Um, we broke out outlines for two potential audio dramas we've been considering on big sticky pads over the pantry doors. And I like them because they kind of confront you without being really aggressive. They're just there for, a, oh, I have an idea. I'm going to write it down. I have another one that was my my list for the things I'm actually going to do when I'm furloughed, like bake bread, like everybody else gets to. But I didn't get furloughed in March. I got furloughed in June. So for the while, I was collecting all of those little honeydew list things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big, giant, white sticky pads. They're awesome. Now, have you uh, – th- these are like the giant Post-it notes, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, okay. Now, have you met – do I have it handy? That's always the question. Um have you found the rolls of stick-on whiteboard? Yes, but they don't work really well here in the UK because okay. these are plastered walls and they, ah, they don't yes. adhere as, real, as well. But, God, I love those. Oh, I know. No, I know, I know. I keep trying to – it's, it's more – it's not a question of where to put it up. It's where will Ursula and the rest of the household let me put it up. Yeah. I, That's I why really, the doors work really well, I think. Uh, all of our doors are textured. Uh, yeah. 
So, but there's like the, it would look like a picture frame on one of the kitchen cabinets. And I don't know how well that would go over, but it would be really useful to have a whiteboard right there on the, you know, in the kitchen. Um, and then it's not taking up any space because it's literally the door to, you know, the glassware. Nice. The eight bajillion pint glasses we have now that there isn't a teenager hoarding them in his room. Oh, um, I see. Yeah. We kept buying pint glasses because we're like, well, we don't have enough pint glasses. Uh, we keep running out of pint glasses. And then he, he moved out. He is he's at his college campus. So far, so good. Fingers crossed that his university did the right plans. Um, so far, that's holding up. Um, but we kept buying more pint glasses because we're like... Yeah. Obviously, we don't have enough. Oh, no, he moved out and like 15 came back. <laughs> and and now I have a cabinet that's like an entire shelf of nothing but pint glasses. And I'm like, great, what am I going to do with the wine glass and the coffee mugs now? Um, yeah, I hear you. See, I'm, I'm particular in that regard. I have one mug per beverage. I have the okay. hot tea mug. I have the cold ice tea mug. I have the hot chocolate mug. I have the coffee mug. I have, Yeah. Don't mind I, me. I, I upgraded to the Ember self-heating coffee mug. Ooh! So um, you put the coffee in just... it, you put set the temperature, and then it just keeps it at that temperature all day long? That was the sound of Alistair adding something to his upcoming birthday wish list. Right it, was. <laughs> it, it comes in both travel mug and the handy standard size mug that will fit under your, your you know, in a regular spot. So I have a charger for it on my desk, one in my travel bag, and one in the kitchen. Oh, my God, Kevin, we could do a whole podcast about go bags and daily carry. Oh, I know. I know. There's 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 a whole <laughs> subculture of that. And uh, and maybe we should do that on a, on a future show. Yep. Definitely. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, right. any, any other systems, <clears throat> tools? No, that, that's, I think that's about it. Yeah, we have a lot of sticky pads, lots of co passively confronting reminders is how we think about passive it. Confrontation. Passive confrontation. I mean, it's the, yeah. it's the same principle when you f clean your clothes. If you put them on your bed, you can't go to bed until you fold the clothes and put them away. That right. is the theory most of the time. Some days there's a pile of clean clothes on the floor. It's just, you know, annoyance protocol. Yeah. No, 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 I, I understand completely. Uh, on the subject of whiteboards, by the way, I found a small one that uses the same mount as TVs and computer monitors. So I've installed oh, really? it on an arm over here. I mean, it's not very big here. I'm going to turn, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move the camera for this so that you can see it over there by the window. Oh, oh nice. That's cool. And I've got it, yeah, I've got it on an articulated arm so I can move it out and, and position it. Uh, right now it has the next three months of productivity alchemy like episode topics on it, uh, meaning here's what dates I'm, what show date each guest is going to be on. Nice. You know, and that way I can look at it and go, okay, what do I need content for? Well, at the moment, after talking to you guys, I don't need content till November. Brilliant. So, well done. Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Um, all right. So uh, we, you've talked about sitting down in the mornings to look over your list, pull things from your task cloud. Um, <laughs> how do you how do you decide what to do first on a given day after, you know, the morning routine thing, which apparently is wake up, tea and exercise? Coffee. Coffee. Yes. Right. Coffee. 
<laughs> tea is in the afternoon, coffee's in the morning. Unless you're Alistair, he likes tea in the morning, but I do not. I need my coffee. It, that's that's yeah. The American versus British, obviously. There you go. Yeah, th- literally, that's the anarchy in the UK. Tea? Yeah. No. Anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, how do you decide what's important? Do you want to yeah, talk first? I, I, have a, I have a slightly counterintuitive um, approach to this, which mm-hmm. has become very useful across the last year. I am very slowly training myself to look at the thing I, I want to do the least and to do that because a lot of the time it is the thing that needs to be done. Obviously, uh, with deadlines, those take priority. But because of where I am in my career at the moment, where I'm trying to add another couple of fields within which I work, to what I do, uh, it's very easy for the new shiny job to land above the stuff that needs to be done. And it's very easy to hide a total lack of confidence behind, oh, no, but this needs to be done by the end of the day. And so what I'm working really hard on doing is training myself to look at the thing I don't want to do and doing it. It's like the eat your vegetables approach, just apply to task management. You are much more successful at that than I am. Uh, yeah, the the term a lot of people use for that is um, is uh, the eat a frog method. Eat a frog. There we are. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eat yeah, a live frog. frog first thing, and the rest of your day can only be better. <laughs> it's it's like a version of that whole if you make your bed for first thing in the morning, you've accomplished a task and you can build momentum thing. Right. Yeah. For me, it's usually deadline driven. Um, I mean, we have a pretty established weekly cycle now with, you know, the first couple of days of the week are what I would call the creative push where we can advance projects we want to advance. By the time we get to Wednesday, Wednesday night is a stream. Thursday is TFL edit day. Friday, I never schedule anything new. It's always my overflow space. It's it's what do we not get done in the week that we can try and wrap up Friday? The carrot being if you can sweep up everything or if you've accomplished everything by lunch on Friday, then you can knock off early. Rarely happens, but it's a good carrot. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, it's it's usually deadline driven or uh, things, especially earlier in the week. Like on a Monday, it's always, okay, what would be really great to get done this week? Let me start it now and let it build momentum. Yeah. I wish there was. There it is. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm not as good at it. I I have this kind of mental block where I like Inbox Zero. I like all the little stuff tidied away before I start a big project. And it is mm-hmm. really, really easy for that little stuff tidying away to take a day. And then Tuesday, I'm like, oh, but now there's a couple new things to tidy. And then it's Tuesday afternoon and I haven't started the big thing. I struggle with this a lot. Yeah. I am not as good as Alistair about do the thing you got to get done first and, and then you can devote your energy other ways. But I'm working on it. You, you, you do great. And yeah. I mean, as as we're talking to you, about two hours ago, I handed in, I handed in a project which um, was substantially smaller in word count this time last week than it was by the time I handed it in. And that's been the priority that has dominated the week. I've still got other stuff done, 
Yeah. And I've got it done because we're both getting very good at what needs to be achieved when. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we break that down into four or five small tasks and do one of those a day, it builds up into the full job by the end of the week. And I'm seeing a very marked difference between this and 10 months ago, where towards the end of last year, I was trying to shift from writing the full lid all at once, all the time, forever, to scheduling it out. And it took about three weeks. And the moment I finally did it, and it's something I'm sure you find with the podcast, simply being able to know a little bit of what you're talking about next time means suddenly you have processing cycles, which means everything is a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes more like a plan as opposed to just a happy accident that snowballs. Yeah. Uh, in one case, there was a moment of panic when I said, all right, here's the interview for this week. and I've recorded my introduction. Now I just need to patch it in, patch the file together. And, oh, God, where is it? Uh, so I that that, yeah. Yeah. I found it. Good. I found it. And uh, cloud backups for the win. Uh, and everything turned out OK. But there was that moment clutching of the do I have to go back and re-record everything and remove all references to this thing? Because I don't have it anymore. Um, <laughs> always a moment of panic there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, now we get a, a fun question. At least I think it's fun. Uh, before we get to the 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 last two questions, which are which can be uh, heavy and or fun, depending on your point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is the best advice you've been given or would give someone else? You get to go first on this because this was the hardest question as far as I was concerned. <laughs> in terms of advice I've been given, uh, mm-hmm. there are two pieces which have always lodged in my brain. Uh, and one is several people have told me at various points that everything I write, regardless of what format it's in, has a period where the engine is cold. It's normally it's the first three to 500 words is basically me stepping into the car on a cold morning, turning the, the engine on and waiting for the heater to fire up. Mm-hmm. About 500 words in, I wake up, and it takes off. And there's a piece that went in today, which Marguerite very kindly edited for me, which is exactly that. The first 500 words are competent, the back 500 words fly. Um, mm-hmm. In fiction terms, there is a, a piece of advice that haunts me that a friend of mine told me a very long time ago which is uh, he actually he, he had this on a postcard because we were members of a writing group at the time and we do readings and he'd get to me and I'd read it and he'd go, very good, just one thing. And he'd hold up this postcard that would say, where's the bad guy, Al? And what it taught me was ultimately the thing which led me to do a lot of gaming design work, which is I am very, very good at world building and I'm sufficiently good at world building that I tend to paper over character conflict. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I always try and ask myself is, where's the bad guy? And now now increasingly with the novel, I'm circling back around to revising. Would every character agree on who the bad guy is? <laughs> yeah. Mm, that's a good one. Uh, in terms of advice I'd, I'd give other people, it's really two pieces, and they're both kind of Tony Robbins-level generic. Um, <laughs> the, the, the most obvious one is is this. You can do it that any job can be chopped up into small manageable sections. Persistence can break down very nearly everything. Um, I've done work in very small spans of time I did not for a second believe was possible. They were, they did. 
and I learn from them. And also, this, this isn't mine, but it's something which I've really held very close across the last few months, in particular with COVID-19. Uh, there's a, a tweet that surfaces fairly regularly, and it, all it says is, you need to learn to forgive yourself for doing whatever you have to do to get through this. And the ambient level of stress everybody is, is experiencing and has been experiencing since March is somewhere between zero and ah all the time. Yeah, there's no in-between. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Yeah. And it throws everybody off, and you, you're having to deal with it all the time. I remember when the, when all this first broke, the first couple of months, going out shopping, I would have an, a sufficiently huge adrenaline dump when we came back that I'd lose two hours. You know, I would just, I will now stare blankly into space. And that doesn't happen anymore. But the mm-hmm. thing which I think really really needs to be articulated is everyone is going to have coping mechanisms to get through. I hesitate to say this year because it is an arbitrary measurement of time to get through the current global situation. Yep. Long they're not hurting anybody, including you. They're fine. Yeah. Doing it. Especially here in the UK where right now the prime minister has decided to fat shame the entire population as a coping mechanism at the same time as, offering economic incentives for people to go out and eat in unsafe environments. We've had a lot of conversations with friends about, you know, there are so many worse things you can be in this life than overweight. If you are happy, if you're not a racist, (laughs) if you're kind, (laughs) you you know, their health and weight have nothing to do with one another. And you need yep. to do what you need to do to be happy and healthy and sane. And if, if that involves cheeseburgers, then I will be the first to absolve you. It should also be pointed out that the government campaign to encourage people to go out to restaurants has, with no shred of irony, been released under the slogan, eat out to help out. And this is on gigantic posters oh. everywhere in the country. Much too much. It's amusement. You know the issue. By the executive who has purged a career of rage pushing this through. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, We will not talk about U.S. politics because we will spend hours and it is a shit show. And, And blood pressures are things. Exactly. Exactly. Let's see. Advice or feedback. Mm -hmm. You can't fix what isn't finished. I think a lot of creative people in particular are are very caught up in the idea of perfection on release or the debut. And I say that with kind of capital letters because this, this perception and this commercial support behind the idea that the first thing you release to the world has to be what you will be known for forever and a gigantic success. But you come from the software space. I work in the technology space. We are used to iteration. Yep. Uh, just get it done, and then we'll make it a little bit better next time, and then we'll make it a little bit better next time. Perfect is, is the enemy of the good. Perfect is the enemy of the good, absolutely, is, is I think, a really good piece of advice. The other one I got from a, a professional mentor when who was helping me when I was doing some career discussions is you only have to do a thing once. I think a lot of professional women especially don't feel that they can tout an expertise or a skill unless they personally feel comfort about it or 
or, or feel a level of expertise with it where right. they they wouldn't be receptive to challenge. You only have to do something once to put it on a resume. And and then you can move on and do something bigger and different and and additional. But I struggle with this a lot. It's like I don't want to tout myself as having a skill unless I'm at a level where I feel like I could teach it to someone else. But the skill I want to learn isn't teaching. <laughs> it's <laughs> X. And so I need to put down the fact that once I've done X, I may have done it scrappy and by the skin of my teeth, but I've done it and that's valid. And I could do it again if asked. But if it's not what I want to be doing, I'm done now. I can move on. If I could count, if I had a nickel for the number of, <laughs> of people in tech who wrote three lines of hello world code and then put down they were an expert in a language on their resume, <laughs> I, I, I would be able to buy all the caviar my cats want. Um, no, I, think it's I, a I get it. Driven behavior, too. Yeah. I, I think men are especially encouraged yeah. to, to blag to use a mm -hmm. British term to blag about it. And I think women culturally are reinforced not to blag about it. Mm -hmm. And that would be a piece of advice I give professional women. If you've done it once, <laughs> how about this? Look at who's in the White House. Do you, <laughs> do you honestly think you couldn't do better? Yeah. Why the hell are you not trying? Come on. <laughs> And again, I think that does come from a position of privilege. I have yeah. to acknowledge that a position of comfort and support mm -hmm. and ability to take risk. But from an internalized emotional perspective, it can be quite mm -hmm. useful for someone else to say, no, honey, you've done that. Is that what you do? Do you want to still do it or do you want to do something else? You want to do something mm -hmm. else? Great. Put that down. Go do something else. Yeah. And, and some of that ties into fear of failure which is, a, I think, a very generational thing. Um, but, yeah, you've done it. Move on. Yep. Do it again if you're asked or paid to do it. <laughs> yes. All right. Are we ready for the sad but generally easy question? <laughs> I, I feel so. I feel good I feel about so. these. I, okay. Why are they sad? Uh, because we're talking about failure. That's that's the of the the last two questions. The first one we talk about is failure. I'm a big. Uh, you're familiar with Howard Taylor's uh, Maxim Seventy, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, failure is not an option. It's it's mandatory. Uh, what's important is what you do after. I'm paraphrasing, and Howard corrected me when I interviewed him. So yeah. Um, nice. So. Um, the and I keep I have the challenge coin in my pocket as a reminder of that. Um, the the question is uh, how do you deal with failure or when you miss a goal or something important? You want me to start with that? Um, if you want to lead off, great. I learned this lesson the very very hard way, and I learned it through gaming. I used to make very very elaborate plans in role playing games. And I could not cope with their failure to survive an encounter with the enemy. And I spent yeah. a great deal of frustration and tears and anger. Um, and I eventually had to teach myself. And again, it was this, this mentor that I had um, who introduced me to the concept of the growth mindset. The idea that every encounter has something you can learn from it and that failure is the assumption 
failure isn't the point. It, it's the indicator that you are attempting to grow mm-hmm. and what you are more able to, if you are able to focus on what it is you learn in a scenario, then you will have the, the, the positive emotion of I've learned the thing as opposed to the negative emotion of, but I have failed at X. And right. th- again, it may be kind of my, my personal frame of reference, but what was key for me there was the emotion of it because I'm a, you know, what's called a Xennial. I'm on the millennial Gen X border. Um, and so I was a latchkey kid and I'm the oldest and I was the first in my family to go into a legal profession. And so there was all that you can't fail. If you're not immediately good at something as a kid, then put it down and find something you're immediately good at. Um, and so I've had to spend a lot of time training myself to move away from that. And the emotion of it, the emotional reframing of it was what was key for me. Right. Are you out in the middle? Okay. Um, Malcolm in the Middle was a seven-year, very good, extremely odd sitcom about a gifted kid who comes from a resolutely not gifted family with multiple brothers, one of whom, his youngest, Dewey, has a rich internal fantasy life. And in one of the very last episodes, his parents are discussing what the kids are all going to do because they're starting to go off to university. And it gets to Dewey and they go, Dewey will be fine. The unhealthy part of the mindset that I have is that I am Dewey. I have experienced things at probably slightly too formative ages, which shouldn't have killed me, but which did cause severe damage. And unfortunately, as is always the case with trauma, it kind of skews your gauges a little bit. Because what, it, because what happens is some awful shit happens and you go, that was awful, but I'm not dead. And there is this little voice in the back of my mind that very perkily tends to go, but you're not dead. Like, thumbs up. And that means I really struggle with victory conditions because a lot of the time my victory condition is survival. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, has this gone well? Kind of. Is anyone on fire? No. Are uh, you? And we might be back. We might be yes. back. You're back. Uh, hey, Puffins. Yeah. The, um, the UPS guy showed up. So Lacey has okay. to... Uh, Tell me that he has been and gone and, and left a dangerous thing on the front porch. Um, <laughs> to, to, you're fine, Lacey. It's fine. Oh, Hang on for a second. It's quite all right. Yep. Go go tactical briefing. Dad, I have to tell you what happened. Hey, Dad. There was a guy. He brought a thing. He's left. I don't trust him. You have a cookie. I want a cookie, Dad. I was a good boy. <laughs> You should have panned the camera down so we can see the kitty. Bring back the kitten. Bobs. Where are you? Quite similar, isn't it? I think it's Carlotta. I don't know. We were trying to... We were trying to coax the kittens towards the kitten <laughs> while you were gone. They are, I think they're in another room. That's fine. Oh, that's yeah. So, yeah, box label, do not leave in heat left on the front porch in 90 degree weather. Mm. Yeah. Plan? 
Uh, or possibly battery for Shepard. Oh, okay. There we Don't go. Don't know. Brought it inside. Um, all right. We were talking about how Alistair's victory condition was skewed. Yes. Yep. Um, basically, my victory condition is skewed enough a lot of the time so that uh, if it will do, I'd count that as a win. And that's one of the things I'm working really hard on training myself to not do. Because from a professional point of view, that's really unhealthy. And there have been instances where as a freelancer, people have gone, we're going to pay you a pittance, and we're actually going to end up asking for half of it back. And I'm still going, okay. (laughs) And that's not sustainable. And I'm getting much better at dealing with that. The thing which I've actually found is really useful with um, celebrating victories is a rule that Marguerite has instigated with money, which she taught me, which is that 90% goes towards things that it needs to go towards and 10% goes towards you. And that that whatever you need to spend that money on, you spend it on. This is why uh, about 20 feet away from us at the other end of the apartment, there is what I like to call the astronautics wing which uh, includes, amongst other things, um, a Lego space shuttle, the Lego International Space Station, and a two-and-a-half-meter-tall Lego Saturn V. Yes. Because I I think we'll come on to this point a little bit more, but celebrating victories is just as important as dealing with failures. One of the other things that I think is important about failure is you can't set a victory condition for something that you don't control. I mean, mm-hmm. award nominations are a really good example. Yeah. You don't control being nominated for award, and you sure as hell don't control winning it. Yeah. But but if your goal is – we've had a very clear goal for EA for the Hugos for several years, which is we always want to do a little bit better than we did last time. Mm-hmm. So at the very beginning, it was we'd love to see Escape Pod on the long list. And then we got – Escape Pod got a nomination, and we started to see Podcastle on the long list. This last year, all four shows made the long list, which was the first time that's ever happened. That That's an improvement. Improvement is something that we could work towards or maybe, you know, see some way of influencing. A nomination isn't something we can say we could succeed at because you don't have any control over it. You can't right. say you're going to win something because you don't have any control over it. There was this great board game I played a lot um, back in the U.S. I can't remember the name of it now. But it had the concept of success and overwhelming success. So success was what would allow you to complete the scenario. And an overwhelming success was something like you managed it without taking a certain type of damage or without a certain type of loss. And we use that a lot mentally ourselves when we're setting goals. It's like, okay, well, success looks like we've launched X. And an overwhelming success would be we launch X and it trends here, for example. So. Right. <laughs> okay, that's Carlotta arriving, and that's fine. That's also expected. Fine. Okay. <laughs> I think Liz is going to deal with that. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Yes. They're, they're going to freak out because there's a person here, and they're not allowed to necessarily go out front and greet them. Oh. Um, Yes. All right. So, um, everybody gets warned that dogs happen. (laughs) That's fine. uh, All right. uh, That brings us to the final question, which is often the difficult but happy one. 
And you've already touched on it some, and that is, do you celebrate your successes? And if so, how? I think you have to celebrate a success. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you don't celebrate a success, what are you doing? You're, yeah. you're working, and maybe you are achieving something, but mm -hmm. that is a never-ending grindstone. There is no – just like loss brings catharsis, victory needs to bring some sort of catharsis or success yeah. needs to bring catharsis because without it, mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to just be constantly on that grindstone of, well, this is the next one, well, this is the next one, well, this is the next one. How do we celebrate successes? Um, this probably isn't terribly healthy, but it's great, and that is food. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I want a donuts and deadlifts T-shirt for a reason. Um, and it doesn't have to be expensive food. But, for example, we recently reached five months in lockdown, 150 days. Yeah. So we special ordered a, a deli kit and got, you know, uh, a nice piece of corned beef delivered. And we made Reuben sandwiches and had some really great sauerkraut. Oh, my God. Kevin, oh my God! <laughs> Alistair had had a Reuben, and this was from oh. a London Jewish deli named oh. Monty's Deli. So with proper sauerkraut and Russian dressing and deli mustard, and oh, the, I'm drooling just thinking about it. The, God. the condiments were almost better than the sandwich <laughs> because they shipped this kit with custom mustard and yeah. Russian sauce, and it was really good. And I had that sauce on toast. Three out of the last five days. <laughs> I regret nothing. It was good on chicken nuggets one night too. Should, but, um, should we take him to? Uh, should Should we introduce him to? I I think they're still there, and if they're not, I'm sure somewhere else has uh, pastrami king. Oh please. I don't know if there is a pastrami king in London. To find out. Uh, there There isn't in London. You have to come to the states for that. The one The one I knew was uh, on um, Queens Boulevard in Kew Gardens. God. <laughs> what, I would, what I would do, oh, Kevin, oh boy. you do not know the amounts of murder I would commit for proper New York bagels. I No, 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 no. I, 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 I know. I lived there for two years, and now I'm here, and I'm like, I want a bagel. And I'm like, they're just not, they're, it's just not Every not Okay. Take the difference between what you experience in North Carolina as a bagel and what you know from New York as a bagel. Now, double oh, yeah. that distance, and that will be the distance you have to travel to get to a London bagel. Oh, Unless oh you are willing to go all the way to Brick Lane in the North Jewish Quarter and get – there's, like, two shops with one lines out the open, door. One of which is yeah. open 24 hours a day, and, and which it, is a really good sign. And you can always tell that it's the good one because it's where the firefighters eat. Yeah, and yep. when the, the firefighters are there, it's the best one. But, yeah, we were – so – we had decided at the end of last year that 2020 was going to be a year we step back from conventions because 2019 mm -hmm. was really stressful on cons for us. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so because we had decided it was unlikely we would attend New Zealand, we were going to plan kind of the FOMO tour. We were going to go to the U.S. for a couple of weeks and try to just bed sit with a bunch of friends. So, uh, you know, I have family on Long Island. We have friends in mm -hmm. Connecticut, Ohio, Chicago, kind of all over the place. We wanted to just do like a foodie little hop tour. And right. what I'm missing desperately from that right now is it, the American food fix. It's been a couple of years and 
80% of it is stuff I can get. There is a Taco Bell in my town now. Like literally across the road. And that has helped oh. so much. It's it's Taco Bell, but it's Taco Bell. It's <laughs> <laughs> the way I describe it. Um, and yeah. Oh, we could do a whole show talking about the food I miss. But food, food, I, I don't care. I will say it. Food is a great reward. You can be proportionate with it. You can be healthy with it. You can be extravagant or skint with it. But it's it's a good reward. Um, food and music. Music is a good reward. Uh, I am a fan of if you're going to buy a thing as a reward, what you should do is you should spend more on the thing than you would have for example i own one piece of london couture and it is a burberry scarf which i bought myself when i graduated from law school okay because i wanted an object that was always going to remind me of that accomplishment mm -hmm. whenever i got it when alistair got his first hugo nomination he bought an ipad because he wanted something that he would use regularly, but that would remind right. him of an accomplishment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So upgrading a piece of kit higher than you might otherwise as an accomplishment can be can strike a nice balance of this is a reward and a treat, but also mm -hmm. this isn't a tchotchke that's going to gather dust on my shelf. I'm I'm not a cult of condo fan, but Things in my house have to earn their place. I don't collect stuff. I'm a big fan of the Alton Brown approach to multitaskers. If it doesn't do several things, if it only does one thing, it does not belong in my house unless it's a fire extinguisher. That's the exception. So I like my rewards to be functional mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit souped up as a result. <laughs> Which is why I bought a size queen monitor. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts <sighs> on celebrating successes? Uh, you gonna talk about the ink? Yeah, I I actually have a terrible confession to make. I have three tattoos in the hole. Uh, I have oh. two. I see. He knows. Uh, I have two. I have a, a kanji on my right bicep from my time um, doing judo which is connected to a particular school of judo I really connected with, uh, the patron of which is a large, friendly gentleman with a stick who looks after people, who is kind of my brand. Uh, <laughs> and um, I, I also have the first line of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead on my right forearm because it's my favorite play. And it's um, I, I had an incredibly productive month, and I decided to mark it. Um, there are other tattoos I want. We actually have my engagement ring designed. You just haven't ever gotten around to having it put on my skin. Kind of like we haven't ever gotten around to getting married. All that too. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a Superman crest. That We're busy people, somewhere. Kevin. I'm busy. <laughs> I understand. And the, and the thought of planning a wedding gives me the heebie <laughs> in, in a In a country where evil dukes really do. Yeah, exactly. Let's not even start talking about UK matrimonial law. Anyway, but that's something which I'm hopeful the next couple of years I can start working towards actually clearing stuff off that list because I find that I find them tremendously rewarding to, for the exact same reason as Marguerite was talking about with by over the the kind of level you would normally go for because every time I I, I look at my my forearm 
I go, yeah, that was the month I wrote 190,000 words. This is 3,000 words and it's due in two weeks. I'll be fine. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the kanji reminds me of a particularly awful time in my life, which stopped. <laughs> and, and the fact that it stopped is great and makes me incredibly happy. I know you want to get one for 10 years at Pseudopod now. Uh, yeah, we have been talking quite a lot about getting um, some tentacles on one of my calves uh, to mark 10 years at Pseudopod. And the idea is if we can design it right, just to add another sucker for every year after that. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about uh, calf tattoos after after the we wrap this up because uh, you know, I full knee to ankle both legs now. So nice. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, my tattoo artist, uh, we finally have guidelines, and they make you know everybody else's guidelines outside of say hospitals and dentists. Don't fall over again. Kevin's telling me about his tattoos. Yeah, I, so I can go get more tattoos. Um, we, we, a little bit of that cutout we got, we finally have guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for things like tattoos uh, that are almost, uh, if not as strict as, say, my dentist or uh, the, like, going into a hospital. Mm-hmm. But I can get tattoos again. So um, my next appointment is next week. Nice. Exciting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've been working with my artist for a long time now. We won't do the math. I was gonna say, don't do math. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a thing. So, uh, but yeah, no. I'm believe me, I am I am the one for for important and superfluous tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> some of mine are, and some of mine aren't. Yeah, because you have two or three, I think, at this point that you like that you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> then you'll start thinking about more. I'm sure. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know exactly which one was the 13th, because uh, out of all of them, the 13th is a 13 that was tattooed on my arm on Friday the 13th. So you get 13 tattooed on Friday the 13th. That is, uh, it's lucky, and so I figured by making if my 13th tattoo happened to coincide with all of that, then there we go, and that's when I stopped yeah. counting. <laughs> Fair. Works. Yeah. Oh, God, that was... That was a couple of years ago now, so yeah. Of course, it's 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 also hard when like a single tattoo is wrapping around you know your entire calf, so uh, the, yeah. and it requires like I think that one took like five or eight sessions, something like that. I, I have a friend who has uh, thorned roses across the top of basically across her collarbone, across the top of her cleavage, and um, the tattooist actually had to hold her down. Mm-hmm. That was being completed because every time the needle made contact, her entire upper body just completely clinched up and her head disappeared under her shoulders. I love the concept of tattoos. I can't, I, I, <laughs> well, I struggle with what would be important enough in my life to put on my body in a permanent fashion. And I know that for people who enjoy them, that is a hurdle they cross quite quickly but it's not one i've ever crossed <laughs> so maybe someday who knows i also work in a ridiculously conservative profession and so it, it's more tricky. oh yeah oh yeah um less so in the states now uh because uh, there's so many 
young people coming out of college who have tattoos, some of them that are very hard to hide. And so uh, the culture around them in offices for uh, tradition for for more formal traditional jobs is changing. Um, in my particular industry at this point, <laughs> I just roll up my sleeves when I go into the interview. And if you don't like it, then tough. Yeah. I didn't want that, that job anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's there's that is an opportunity that has been presented by the last five to six months, which is you learn an awful lot about your profession and your employer <laughs> and what they value. So what was your COVID-19 response? Um, it's the, I know, yeah, I think I know everything. Top question in every interview I've had is, OK, talk me through your COVID response. I want to hear it from you. Really? Oh, yeah. Because especially while it's ongoing, first of all, you need to know from a logistical point of view. But I think mm -hmm. going forward, it's going to remain an important question because it tells you a lot about what was the what was the priority? Was it mm -hmm. protecting people? Was it maintaining workflow? Was it getting tech in place? Was it getting people back in the office as soon as physically possible? Mm -hmm. It's an important mindset perspective. And it's you know, we didn't get any control about whether or not this happened, but it would be a lost opportunity to not try and learn something from the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm incredibly lucky. I work for a company that was uh, is remote first. Mm. Uh, the uh, minority of our employees work in actual physical offices. And so and even then, everybody was set up to work remote anyway. Mm. Um, so the office was more of a luxury sort of thing than a lot of other places. And so for us, there was a, I'm not going to say it was seamless, but it was a very smooth transition from, well, uh, we have some people in offices and we have everybody else working from home to, okay, we all work from home now. It's just yeah. like, you know, we made an announcement. We all work from home now and everybody was like, okay, we already have all the stuff. Yeah, see, I work in London in the yeah. law, and uh, a lot of <laughs> to say it's conservative is is an understatement. The, the the amount of reluctance and resistance that has always existed to eroding the FaceTime assumption, um, people didn't have a choice. But w when you start hearing people talking about, oh, well, it's over now, come back, it's like but I've been doing this successfully for five months and I've been more productive because I'm not commuting four hours a day. And, and that's why I think it's an important interview question because if, if people say, Oh, we're just going to go back to business as usual. It's like, okay, you've just communicated that as a business, you are not willing to innovate and to right. take advantage of opportunity and to look at the realities of the new situation. You are very much focused on a mindset and you're not going to change that. Thank you. Good day, sir. You know, I, I, I will not waste any more of your or my time with that. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm hearing, um, at least in the Valley, which, I mean, I, I predicted this was going to happen. Some very large firms are just like, you know what? Why are we paying all of this in, in commercial real estate? We don't need offices. That is We're just the next stage. And that's the stage which a lot of people are talking about, the, the government in this country being utterly terrified of. Yeah. Because their largest yeah. backers are city landlords. Exactly. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. And in the Valley, and, uh, I mean, it's the, the, the other swing of the pendulum from the boom days where we all mm -hmm. needed our football tables and our free meals. Yep. 
I think the risk there is all of those employees are going to go, okay, so you've taken away all my perks and I'm working from home. Fine. Are you increasing my salary? And when Um, that answer becomes no, then we're going to have a whole nother different discussion. (laughs) And and it's it's going to be very interesting. Um, One of the advantages to the company I work for, although our headquarters is technically in San Jose, in the Valley, um, Mm -hmm. our... Our actual incorporation and our founding, our original headquarters, uh, is in the Netherlands. Okay. So we're actually incorporated in Europe, well, in Europe, not in the EU, I guess. Uh, but has that whole Scandinavian-European mindset about it. So the perks were just that, perks, but they weren't in lieu of healthcare or salary or things like that. Um, because you have those yeah. nationalist support systems as an assumption in some countries and not in others. And so in the States, we have an amazing uh, healthcare plan, and uh, at least within limits of the U.S. system. And uh, uh, we can discuss that further uh, after the show. Uh, but, you know, but we're also paid, you know, we're not, we're, we're paid fair for what we do, even though we do it from home. It's not, we're going to pay you a little less because you don't have an office. Yeah. You know, and that's, I mean, that's been uh, an incredible experience, but I noticed that it also has a lot to do with the leadership of the company having come from that culture where... Yeah, you close, very you know. much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. So that's everything. I think so. Yeah. So um, what do you want to... Where, where do you want our people to find... My people, our people, to find you <laughs> online... Uh, there's a couple of places which um, they should check out. Uh, my website is at, at, at alistairstewart.com. Would you spell it? A-L-A-S-D as in Derek, A-I-R-S-T-U as in Uncle, A-R-T. Dot com. Dot com. My Twitter account is at Alistair Stewart, spelled the exact same way. Uh, my newsletter can also be accessed via the website, and there's a archive on there and also a sign-up form and you can find our podcasts at escapeartists.net yep yay for me probably easiest is twitter i'm uh at legal valkyrie um i don't blog regularly but i'm on twitter far more than i should be um we have a joint instagram account kenner stewart that's K-E-N-N-E-R-S-T-U-A-R-T. And we are on Twitch through EA Podcasts as well on Wednesday nights. Um, Alistair is serializing bedtime stories. Currently, it is T. Kingfisher's uh, Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking as of the time of recording. <laughs> Folks, people have shipped our sourdough starter with Bob. There is fan art. They're called fungus. <laughs> it's adorable. We just received a wizard's hat for our sourdough starter. Yes, someone has had us cosplay for our sourdough starter so that they can dress up as Bob. I we we'll talk after we're done recording because okay, yeah, that's well. brilliant. That's fantastic. It's Have great. you told Ursula any of this at this point? No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Kevin's going to have so much fun with it. Um, oh, so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the probably the best places to find us. Um, actually, if you go to EA Podcast on Twitch, there is what's called a streamer link, 
which mm-hmm. is this great way of rounding up all the places you can find all the things we do in all of our shows, um, because there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Believe me, I understand that one. Um, Poli- awesome. Keeping your identity like in links and boxes and being able to articulate what you do for whom and where is becoming more and more of an online identity these days. Have it's you difficult. have you found Linktree yet? Yes, we have one. Yeah. Yeah. We have a Linktree? We, you, you made a Linktree. Yes, we have a Linktree. I think that's what the streamer link is. The, the, yeah. the streamer link is a yeah. Linktree. Yeah, okay. So there you go. All works out. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, thank you so much. Of course, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, no, this has been uh, so much fun. And uh, for the people at home, we'll be right back after this. I really hope you like the bit where I had to run and check like the packages that had come in to appease the dogs and Marguerite was trying to get uh, Hobbs to show himself on camera because I thought it was adorable when I was going through and editing and I'm like, I cannot take this out. I, I, <laughs> I, I love finding little bonuses like that when I'm, when I'm going through, like this isn't a requirement for any future interviewers to be like, if if something happens, I'm going to do something silly, but every so often it it just makes me chuckle, and I'm, I'm happy with that. So, we need a badge code. Yes. And our badge code this week is Escape Artist. Uh, in honor of, you know, EscapeArtist.net, their website, and the Escape Artist podcasts that they produce – I and believe there's an uh, anthology out currently of stories from Escape Pod, yep. the podcast, and I have a story in it. So, uh, oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, and they uh, are almost done. I mean, it is almost Halloween, and they've been reading a Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking as bedtime stories on Wednesday nights on Twitch. I on Twitch, yes, yeah. And I'll have a link for for their Twitch stream as part of this. And so, you know, uh, go check it out because there's your chance to hear maybe not – well, it, it may be the closest to an official audiobook we've got right now for that uh, one. Yes, there, there will be an audiobook at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at the moment, there's – there's and, you know, if you can get British people to read your book out loud, do if you're an American, do it every time. Yeah, yeah, very true, <laughs> very true. You can find out more about open badges and how to use the badge code at productivityalchemy.com. You will also find links there to all the show notes I referred to. Uh, Hopefully, I have this list of things to put in the show notes, and hopefully I haven't missed any. Uh, But you guys are awesome. You folks are awesome about telling me when I miss it. So uh, keep up the good work. 
And uh, and again, that is escapeartists.com, I believe. Dot net. Dot net. Yes. Escapeartists.net. And definitely look up Escape Pod. Yeah, it's all it's all linked on their their link tree, yes. which is on their stream links. Also on the podcast homepage, our podcast, not their podcast, yes. is uh, you can find ways to support us if you want. As we usually say at this point, uh, we are doing fine. Go give money to someone who needs it. Uh, I believe there is uh, currently a group in, I want to say, Memphis. And another in Tennessee who are doing, um, the place is RIP Medical Debt, R-I-P Medical Debt, uh, is the program. You can probably Google that and find more who are buying medical debt and, uh, forgiving it, of course. And this is, the thing is that most people who are heavily in medical debt, <sighs> their debts get sold for pennies because, uh, the, the, creditor knows they're never going to collect it's bad debt they know these people can't afford to pay it so they will sell it for criminal amounts to collections agencies and by criminal i mean like pennies like you could turn around and maybe buy your own debt but they don't but nobody knows how right and so the uh uh the collections agencies will then hound people mercilessly for something they bought for 50 cents so it's uh yeah which you know if they get even one people person to pay up a debt worth fifty thousand dollars they you know feel that subsidizes all the other ones it is a business model that clearly works for them it is also evil so the uh the 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 evil the most evil part about it is that i literally paid off a debt the day it also got transferred to a credit agent, one of those those debt collector things, and the debt collector was like, "You don't owe them, you owe me now." And I'm like, "But I paid them within the deadline." But I forget who, what bullshit it was, had you know sold it like at the deadline, and so yeah, there was a bit of a ring of a roll as I had to yell. Yeah. So you got it sorted though. Oh yeah, I got it. This was yell years ago. Years ago. Anyway, so the point is that occasionally uh, groups uh, can get together basically as collective action and just buy people's medical debt, buy, you know, buy these lots of medical debt, more or less. And because they in the financial industry, they are bundled as like lots of bad debt and you just buy them. Mm -hmm. And then so it's like. Here's, you know, if somebody can raise uh, $50,000, they wind up ultimately forgiving a million dollars of medical debt kind of shit. It's it's obscene. It's the Fucking the, nuts, yeah. Yeah, so people are just doing it. And it is criminal. We live in a country where this is a thing we have to do, but it is also a very good thing these people are doing to help save people. So... Look up that uh, that if you can. Uh, mm-hmm. I donated today, and you know. Maybe what was the site again? Uh, I don't know if it's a site. I know the program is called Rip Medical Debt. Uh, I'll uh, I'll be linking that in this. Yeah, look it up and see if yeah. you can you can track it down. But yeah. uh, anyway, I was a Twitter link that I followed. So uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, local food banks always helpful. 
Animal shelters getting hammered, of course. Of course. Because, I mean, actually, a lot of them did great early on because everybody's like, well, I'm stuck at home. Now's a good time to finally adopt a cat. Or dog. Yeah, but now we're getting the wave of people who are getting evicted and have to surrender their pets. And so, you know, yeah. do your best. Uh, those are great people to help out. So so many caring people with so much. Just they do so much. Yeah. So Ooh, anyway, wow. that's... Anyway, uh, yeah. That's ways you can help the world. Uh, if you want to help us, just tell your friends about the podcast. Yeah. We, we, I, I, and write in. Yeah. You know, write in. Uh, you, I love answering your questions. I love reading them on air. And so uh, there are links on the website as well to do that. I think that's about it. That is it for this week. Um, I'm going to go start putting together this giant list of links <laughs> I have from this episode and all the lookups I have to do and finish, finish the badge. I was, I was actually making the badge just before we started re recording. So uh, I want to get that done. I'm going to go play Oxygen Not Included. Yes. And then I will do, after I've finished all the stuff that requires me to be here and on headphones, <laughs> uh, I will do what I do in the evenings, which is... Mostly Warcraft 3 these days and uh, and the X-Files rewatch we're doing. Yes. So find find peace where you can. Yes. Find – take the time to have that downtime every single day if at all possible. Five minutes. If, all, if five minutes is all you get, take that five minutes. Um, if you're like us and you're just now up until one in the morning every night, like it or not. Find a good show to binge. Yeah. You know, something you enjoy. It doesn't have to be a happy show, but it should be something you enjoy. I, I have honestly found rewatching very long sagas like The X-Files is very comforting because I am not like, I, I don't have to keep super close tabs on what's happening necessarily, but... And I, but I also know that nothing is going to happen that is going to like deeply traumatize me. Although the one with the slug on the spine yesterday, was a little, that one, a little that squeaky. one's a little rough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, yeah, and there is the whole skip all the mythology episodes, uh, or at least suffer through them. Yes, uh, they're the, the weakest part of the whole thing. They absolutely are. But the monster of the week is brilliant. Oh yeah, whenever they do a monster of the week. So hi. And Sergey is trying to climb in Kevin's arms, which I think is time means it's time for us to end the show. No, he's just trying to get my attention so that I pet him. But that is also a sign that it's time to end the show. So do your best. Uh, we know it's hard out there. We're doing our best. And if you can, stay productive. But if you can't, it's okay. Look, everybody's serotonin bank is way overdrawn right now. It's not you. It's not you.